great to have you here with us for the week. Uh, so I'm going to be doing some, some sessions here on what's called inductive Bible study, which I'm not even sure how many of you know what that term means. It's okay if you don't. We're going to unpack that in our, in our sessions here. But I want us to start actually with, with first opening in prayer and then walking through kind of what are the typical challenges that people face in engaging with their Bible and then how to get over some humps and what I think, uh, what I'm very confident is a, is a, is a radical way of, of um, studying the Bible and changing our lives. So let's go to God in prayer first. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this week. I thank you for everyone who's taken the time out of their schedules to be here in order to be effective disciples. I pray that you would take the steps that they have, have taken and multiply it back with much, much blessing on their heads, on their lives, on, on the work of their hands, that they would be more effective workers who are not ashamed because they can rightly handle the word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'd like to start with, with, with first an, an observation, which is that, you know, in general, movements begin when the Bible gets into the hands of ordinary people and people kind of reread it and discover it for the first time. You know, we think about the Reformation, the Anabaptists. Uh, these were movements that began when the scriptures got into the hands of ordinary people, and they began to, to kind of reappropriate uh, fresh truths for themselves. But we are in a time when the Bible is on the decline. People's engagement with the word, people's enthusiasm for the word, time in the word, all those things are just steadily going down. And this is going to be very interactive here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write on the board a lot, and I'm going to ask you to participate in all of our sessions. This is going to be probably about... As we go on, you're going to do more of the talking, and I'm going to do less. But I'm going to start off here with just thinking about what are some of the challenges that we face in, in actually reading the Bible well here. So when we think about challenges, so one of the, one of the first challenges that, that I think of is, is that people just don't have enough time. So they're, they're very busy when they, when they have their morning devotional times it's kind of one eye on the clock, one eye on the Bible, thinking, oh, I got I to gotta get going to school, work, whatever it might be. And when you don't have just big blocks of unstructured, open time, it's, it's, it's challenging. Another challenge that I'll throw, uh, another reason why people struggle with the Bible is they don't actually have a, a methodology or an approach. Okay, so what I mean by that is that, that people can, can kind of come to the Bible and say, uh, let me find something that's going to make me feel good today. You know, you're sort of looking for some kind of a, a, an emotional boost and you kind of reread some of the same passages that you've read a lot and you're sort of looking for something, but it's just this blob of an approach. It's not really anything that is disciplined or structured. Uh, I have more on my list, but I want to hear from you here. What are, what are some of the challenges that we face today in reading the Bible well and engaging with the scriptures? Distractions. Okay, distraction is a big one. Yeah, so, and any in particular that you're thinking of? Um, media. 
Yeah, so phone, media, social media, all those things. Um, so often people wake up with their phone and, and of course you wake up with your phone and there's all these alerts and how many likes did I get on the post that I made and all those kinds of things and it's very easy for first thing your mind can go to pretty distractible items. What else? Can you can you elaborate on that, Dom? Well, if you could even start the day with like thinking that you know enough, like know everything that you need to know to at least like yeah. your room. Yeah. Okay, that's excellent. So if if we if we're in this position of pride where we think we can make it, we think that we can go through our days without the scriptures, then it's going to diminish our, our need uh, and our desire to be engaged there. So, you know, so do, do we really need it? Uh, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do we actually believe that? We believe it in our head, but do we believe it in our practice? Do we really need the Bible? Okay, a couple of big ones we haven't gotten yet. Yeah, yeah, so that's a good one. So feeling discouraged. So one of the things that is, it can be difficult about Bible study compared to other things that we do is it can feel like you're, you're putting in time, but like what's the real benefit that it's, it's, it's bringing to my life? And, and when we don't perceive some kind of benefit, we, we just we tend not to stay with it, right? I mean, that's, that's true in any domain of life. Yeah, okay, so, so encountering difficult passages, encountering difficult passages can, can be an obstacle here, and that's a, that's a big one as well. Thank you for that. I think someone else had... Compromise. Um, it's easy to start the day thinking, okay, I have time later, and if I save my time until the very end of the day, um, I can often put myself in a situation where I'm trying to read and study when I'm the most tired. Yeah, okay, good. So I'm going to call that, that's a great one. So I'm going to call that poor time management, where we're, we're too optimistic about our days. I mean, this is, how many of us have done this? So many times I have, where you think, okay, from 7 to 8, I'm going to do this. From 8 to 9, I'm going to do this. From 9 to 10, I'm going to do this. And you got your whole day mapped out. And by 9, 10 o'clock, that idealistic schedule was shot to pieces and you're kind of scrambling, and, and then by the end of the day, you're tired, discouraged, uh, your schedule hasn't panned out like you, you hoped it would, and you're tired and exhausted, and you kind of conk out at some point in the night. So that's, that's an excellent, excellent big one. Yes, Mark? Oftentimes when I'm reading, I realize that I lack the contextual understanding of like the larger picture okay. of what they're speaking to in that time to better understand what they're trying to tell me today. Beautiful. Okay, that was one of my, one of my big ones here. So lacking the contextual understanding. So this is a handful of you have, or 
going to be or have gone to Sattler. This is one of the points that we hit a lot in our first semester. So if, if you are reading the book of Zephaniah, and you can't tell me right now in five seconds what the context is of the book of Zephaniah, you're going to be reading these words. And you're going to think, like, who's this person? What's the context? What's he about? Like, and it's going, to be, it's going to be so devoid of some of that background information that it's, you're just almost like grabbing at words here that is, is not, it's not very enriching. And I am convinced, and again, if you come to Sattler, those who will, uh, that this is one of the great, great problems of our day today is that people don't actually even know the storyline of Scripture really well and couldn't tell you a lot of the, the basic characters. how They know Bible stories. They know David and Goliath. They know Daniel and the Lion's Den. They know Joshua uh, circling the walls. But putting it all together in a rigorous manner, people are very, very weak at that. Yeah, Mark. two things here, so let's talk about both of those. So the, the first one is not reading the Bible in an expository manner. So wh what does that word expository mean? We, we, we tend to use that word a lot and not define it. Anybody know what? Hey, you're, you're on the right track. Anyone want to help Donna? Yeah, so it's, it's progressively and systematically. So you don't, so what's, what's kind of the opposite of, of expository? Topical, right? So topical is, I'm feeling um, anxious today. Let me find the different verses in the Bible that speak to anxiety. Um, a lot of sermons that people preach will be, I, I do a lot of these, will be topical. Someone will say, hey, I'm going to preach about angels or... or um, forgiveness or something like that, and you stitch together a bunch of verses from the Bible that speak to that. The opposite of that is when you go expositorily and you go systematically through a book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the whole thing, really getting the context, really understanding the overall message of the author. So we'll talk more about this as well. So not reading the Bible in an expository manner, I would totally agree with you. And the chapter and verse division, anybody know roughly when those were introduced the chapter and verse divisions in the Bible? Yeah, Middle Ages. So they were actually chapters and verses came at, at slightly staggered periods, but, but they're all like more than a thousand years after the Bible was written. Okay, so not just that, but there are these little headings that the publishers will put over chapter and verse divisions that can, sometimes they're helpful, but they can actually even mislead you sometimes when, you, when you're trying to understand something. And so there's, there's issues with that. They're not, they're not always bad, but, but um, there's problems there. Okay, a couple of other challenges here. Yeah, Mark. Not having like, consistent uh, discussion about what I'm reading with someone else. Okay, okay. man, you're, you're on a roll here. Good job. <laughs> All right, so, so not, I'm going to say not reading it in community. So... The, this is a big one here. I'm actually going to put an asterisk on this. 
So the Bible was not intended to be something that we process individually. I mean, of course, there's one level of that. But, you know, back in the day when the scriptures were, were being read, like nobody would have had a Bible on their own. And you hear it in a corporate setting and you talk about it. And a lot of your engagement, in fact, the vast majority of your engagement with scripture and, and understanding it would be in some kind of a church setting where you're hearing it since almost nobody had a Bible to begin with. And so today we've kind of completely flipped that where we're, we're trying to do a lot of engagement individually and, and I'm going to say this uh, several times, but if you read the Bible individually, you are going to miss the vast majority, the vast majority of what's there because the Bible was intended from the very beginning to be read in community. And so this inductive Bible study approach that we're going to walk through is a community-based strategy to, to really grow from the Word of God. Okay, any, any other ones? Yeah. Okay. Very good. Very, very good. Okay. Um, so preparation. So particularly in prayer. Um, I'll say prayer and worship. Can you elaborate on that a little more? I, I love that, that thought, but I want to I hear what, what you would say on that. Right. Getting, getting our hearts in a humble posture before God is incredibly important in order to draw out from Scripture what the author, the ultimate author, God himself, would have, would have for us. Excellent. Any other thoughts here on obstacles? Yeah. Uh, yeah Mark first and then, yeah, please. Okay, good. So this is a this is a very good one, and and it's it's intention, but not conflicting with this not with this kind of community concept. So not I'll say not individually owning. I'll put that in. I think you know what I mean by that. Owning the Bible. So there is there is this concept where in order to be an effective Bible reader, we we first have to decide to do it, but then we we need others to do it. So. There's a saying from a group that I admire. They say, you alone can do it, but you can't do it alone. So it's, it's on you. You alone can do it, but you can't do it alone, okay? And so, like, I love that, that bringing together of these, these concepts that are in tension that are so important for effective Bible study. I know you're, I've met you. It's Delbert, right? Yeah. Okay, Delbert. Um, it seems to me like a lot of the Bible is written in, like, Eastern uh, symbolic form. Uh-huh. We are highly programmed think in Western, uh, realistic ways. Okay, so the Bible comes to us in, in Eastern and sometimes very alien language that's hard for us to understand. That's very good. So many, especially of the, of the poetic books, Man, you read these things, you know, what is this person talking about? And we would never describe some of the things that, that they're talking about in that kind of language. Any other, any other points here? We've, we've gotten the high points here, what I was hoping for, but any others? Okay, so I'm actually going to snap a picture of this from my notes here.
So the I'm going to read to you from somebody who did a survey just asking people the question, why aren't you engaged more in the Bible? And I'll just read it. If any of these identify with you, you can take a mental note of that. One person said, I don't have enough time. Another person said, I've, I've heard most of the Bible stories before. Um, actually, I'm going to put that down here. So I'm going to say perceived familiarity. I already know this. Familiarity. Um, another person, I, easy, I get easily distracted when reading the Bible. Another person, I read the words, but most of it goes over my head. Another person, the Bible seems irrelevant to my life. Another person says, I don't like reading. Another person said, it seems like too much work. Another person, I don't feel adequate to interpret the Bible and would rather learn what experts think. Another person said, this is interesting, if I studied the Bible, I'd be challenged to change parts of my life. Uh, another person, I don't know how to study it. Another person, I don't have anyone to talk about it with. Okay, so I think that's a good summary of where a lot of people are at and some of the struggles that, that if we're honest, that we face. Okay, so, so now we've laid out the challenge. Okay, this is a big challenge. We're, we're not in a great place collectively. And this is true. This is true of all churches, all denominations, all backgrounds. This is not particular to any one group. I think we all have to acknowledge this is a, a global problem that we all face. All right, so I'm going to tell a little bit of, of just my journey through what I'm going to be talking about this week. And what we're going to be doing, we're actually going to be mostly doing a lot of Bible study together here. Uh, so I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a Protestant evangelical background. I was uh, born and raised in Southern California in the LA area and uh, had a lot of that perceived familiarity. And uh, I would say I was not a, uh, I was a, a good, you know, good kid, so to speak, and, and uh, active in church and all that. But I didn't really have what I would call like a burning deep passion for the word of God that would just like drive me and inspire me and I, did, I didn't have that. And I went to college and uh, we were, I, was, I got involved in the Christian fellowship at a, I went to a secular college in Southern California and somebody extended an invitation to come to a retreat on an island called Catalina Island. It's an island right off the coast of California. And they said, we're gonna study the book of Mark the first eight chapters of the book of Mark for about eight hours a day for the full week. So we're going to try to get in about 40 hours of study of the first eight hours of the book of Mark. And I remember hearing that and thinking, you're going to do 40 hours on eight chapters? I'm like, what? how can you possibly spend 40 hours on eight chapters of the book of Mark? I was very, just very skeptical about that. So I ended up going to this, this camp, which was, a, which was a week long, and... I did it, and I learned this inductive method, which we're going to be going through. By the end of that week, I felt like we'd only scratched the surface. It went by like that, and I was blown away at how much was there. And so I went back again, and I did the second half of Mark. Mark has 16 chapters, so I did 9 to 16. And then I went back again, and I did the first eight chapters again uh, through that. And Every time I was going through this, I was like, I can't believe what's there in, this, in, in Mark here. And I had this incredible change of perspective 
that has ever since that uh, ever since that time period completely changed the way that I, I read and engage with scripture. So thankfully it happened when I was young. You all are young, so I want you to have a similar experience here. Uh, since then, it has completely changed my life. I do an inductive Bible study every day. Um, I do it, uh, uh, we do it as a family. And I, I often tell people that I feel like I have a feast every day in, with the scriptures. And I long for people to enter into that experience. So that was my, my experience doing inductive Bible study. And uh, it, it has certainly changed me as much as probably anything that I've, I've done in my whole life. Okay, so now what we're going to do is jump into this concept of what is inductive Bible study and how do we, how do we actually begin to do this. Okay, so before we jump into defining what inductive Bible study is, I want us to first just stop for a, a little bit and think about these two words that we don't use very much in ordinary speech called induction and deduction, okay? So induction and deduction. And if, you've, if, you've, uh, if you're into logic and math and things like that, you've, you've probably come up with, encountered these terms before, but if you haven't, these may be new to you. So does anyone want to take a stab at trying to define, not necessarily in the context of Bible study, but just in general, what is induction and what is deduction? Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Okay. Okay. So some, some correct thoughts in that. We're going to sharpen that. So that's good. That's good. I like that. So, and by the way, I, I love any, any participation of any flavor. So good job on that. I, the part that I like the most in that was you said the word explicit in, in the inductive part. And we're going to amplify that because there's something about the inductive process that is, is very methodologically explicit, as we'll see. Anybody else want to take a stab at this? Yes. Um, I think like deductive would be more like going from general to very specific, and inductive would be kind of the other way around. Um, okay. I don't, I don't know how that would fit into this. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're absolutely right. Okay, so so in in deduction, you're going from general to specific, and in induction, you're going from specific to general. Okay, so can anybody think of examples of this? We're going to spend a good 10-15 minutes on understanding this, so let's take our time on this and really understand this. What is, what is an example of somebody operating inductively versus deductively? Okay. 
Um, yeah, so, okay, so you said Paul's head covering, and that's a very specific teaching, but maybe there's something more general behind that. Let's, let's try to think of, let's try to make it really, really neutral here and think of an example just in ordinary life. Let's make it like non-biblical here. Yes, Mark. Yeah, exactly. Right, that's an example of deductive logic. Okay, so, so if, if we were to say something like, as an example here, you said all fish have gills. And then um, um, a bass is a fish. Okay, and so what's the conclusion? Yeah, bass have gills. Therefore, and if you're a math guy, you write three dots here. It's kind of a cool way to write therefore. Um, so, therefore, bass have gills. Okay, so, so that's an example of deductive logic. Let's do one more here just to make sure we all get it about what deductive logic looks like. And, and by the way, there's nothing, both of these are valid ways of thinking. There's not, one is not right and one wrong. There's, they're both valid, they're just different. So all cars have wheels, but a Mercedes-Benz has wheels. Okay, so, our, so you would say it as <clears throat> all cars have wheels, a Mercedes-Benz is a car, therefore a Mercedes-Benz has wheels, right? <clears throat> exactly. So, so very good. So that's another example of like very simple deductive logic. Okay, and we use deductive logic all the time. I mean, in our day, we are constantly using deductive logic. We, not, we don't necessarily think about it, but we are using it when we, when we operate. Okay, so can anybody think of like just an ordinary run-of-the-mill example of how you are using deductive logic every single day to even make decisions about how you, how you interact with the world? All right, so I'll give you, I'll give you, um, I'll give you one. Um, this is not, uh, let me think. Uh, I, actually, I'll, I'll give one uh, from yesterday. I saw, I saw something in the corner of my eye that looked like a snake, and it ended up being a toy snake, but I, I didn't know that at first. But it, there was, there was uh, this snake that was curled up, I thought a snake. And just in like a really quick moment, like I was like, oh, you know, like, whoa, what's going on here, right? And I was, my, my guard was up, and then I figured out it was a toy and quickly let down. So what was the deductive logic that I operated with in that very quick moment to get slightly nervous about this snake? What's that? The color. Okay, so I, yeah, so I recognized that it was a snake. I thought it was a snake, but it was a toy. Uh, so what, what was the mental logic that I operated in really, really fast there and, like, a second, a split second, probably. It was shaped like a snake. Okay, so it's shaped like a snake. Snake-shaped things are snakes. Snake-shaped, yes, yeah, snake-shaped things are snakes, good. Yeah. And then, so there's more to this. Okay, that's, that's the first step. Some snakes are dangerous. Some snakes are dangerous. That's the second step. And the fact that it was in the house. Yeah, it's in my house, it's in my living room, okay? So that's, it's present. So I might be in danger. So I might be in danger, okay? So like in, 
in a very quick moment, I thought, boom, like danger here. And again, once I figured out it was a toy, I didn't do that. But we do that all the time. And I've never been bit by a snake. I've actually never had a bad experience with a snake, but I've heard that snakes are dangerous. I've seen stories and heard examples of people being bitten by a snake. And so absent any primary experience, I had this set of beliefs in my mind that caused me to like be on the alert and for a, a brief moment get slightly worried about the snake in the house. Okay, we do that all the time, right? And there's good value in that, okay? So like if you're in the jungle and you see a tiger, you're not gonna sit there and wonder and think, hmm, what should I do? Should I, should I go up and pet it? Should I, should I you know, take its picture? You're gonna think tiger equals bad, dangerous. You're gonna start to run and you don't, you don't need anything more than just these simple rules in your mind there. Okay, but there's something that is, so deduction, we use it all the time. There's nothing wrong with it. But there can be something that can be dangerous about deduction. What do you think the caution is about deduction? Or what, when can deduction go bad? When, when can it go awry? Yeah, Mark. When your original assumptions Yeah, when your original assumptions are wrong, deduction is actually really, really, really bad. It can actually take you to a terrible place. Okay? So it has a good side to it when you're very confident in all of the the steps of logic there. In my case, my error was thinking that there was a real snake in the house. I was wrong in that. Um, but that was a, a tiny innocent mistake. How can deduction be very, very bad in Bible study? And, and yeah, let's first start at a high level. How can deduction be bad in, in the context of Bible study? Not saying it's always bad, but how can it be bad? I guess people take one verse and use that as their underlying premise for interpreting all the other verses. Okay, okay, so so you're you're getting at something here that's that I wanna unpack here. So you're taking a verse and you're using that as as like a controlling uh, navigator, so to speak, of other parts. Which may or may not be bad. Um, it sometimes it can be good, sometimes it can be bad. So let's try to what's what's your name again? Daniel. Daniel. So uh, let's try to amplify here on what Daniel has, has said. Okay, so you can, you can make a generalization that omits key parts and key verses that, that you need to incorporate there. Okay, we're getting, we're getting warm now, so how, let's run with this a little bit more about dangers of deduction. Let's try to put together some of these thoughts and add others. Mark. Yeah, okay, so, so I'm going to start to write this down. So it can be overly simplistic uh, I'm going to say kind of we can, we can have false the, the technical term for each of these lines, all fish have gills, all bass is a fish, they're called propositions. It's not not hung up on these terms, but just you know, false propositions. That would be an example of what you were getting at there. And actually, can you what, what did you say again, Dom? I wanted to get get that on the board. Generalizing something that's not complete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Okay, so generalizing something that's not complete. Okay. Generalizing. That's incomplete. 
other dangers. Yeah, okay, so, so uh, unexamined, unexamined beliefs are, are very common th that we do in deductive logic all the time. And it might be right, but it might be wrong, right? And a lot of, I mean, there's so many people who call themselves Christians today who disagree on things. And often the problem is that they have these unexamined propositions, these unexamined beliefs that haven't even really even been articulated uh, and kind of laid on the table, but in deduction, you operate very fast, okay? So like w human beings, we operate deductively in milliseconds. I mean, we're just like constantly making these jumps of logic. We're not really thinking about what are our underlying propositions. And then we come to this conclusion and we're like, this is right, this has gotta be right. And, and then somebody else is saying, this has gotta be right over here. And people are going back and forth, back and forth not realizing the problem is, is that there's some underlying propositions that haven't been like laid out on the table to be examined and tested. Okay, other, let, let's think of a specific example now. So we've talked at a high level, but what are some specific examples of when deductive logic can go wrong? Okay, can, this is a little bit tougher one in, in Bible study. So to use deduction, in, in your Bible study, that can go, it can go wrong. Yeah, Mark. Do, say that again. Okay, so. Okay, so creating rules, and, and I want to get even more, like more specific. Can someone think of a really, really specific example of bad deductive logic? What's that? Go, go ahead, go for, go for uh, it. Looking at God's promises to Israel and <clears throat> producing uh, someone you should vote for in local elections. Okay, okay, so looking at God's promises to Israel and then somehow tying that to who you should vote for in an election. Okay, I'm, I'm liking this direction here. Uh, what might be this, the chain of propositions that someone is very quickly uh, jumping through in order to conclude I should vote for candidate X. Okay. So, so I, I think maybe another way to say what you're saying, I, I agree with it, is something like, in the Old Testament, God wanted there to be a union of state and church, and he wanted these, like the kings to be these really godly, righteous people. That's true. Okay, that's one step. Okay, now in America, we are facing an election, and, and, uh, Candidate A seems like they're more of a godly candidate and more righteous than candidate B. Therefore, I should vote for candidate A versus candidate B because in this, my interpretation of Old Testament 
teachings, that person would be more in keeping with, with uh, God's ways of running a nation, okay? So that's actually, that kind of train is, a lot of people do that, right? A lot of people out there in America will be running through that kind of train, and th hence the term Christian nationalism, right? They're trying to unify Christianity with, na with their nation, and they're, they believe that they're following in the pattern of kings and chronicles and all of that. Okay, we won't, we're not going to spend time on like why that might be right or wrong. I think most of us would probably say that logic is wrong. But it gives you a good sense of why people can come to that conclusion about, hey, we should, we should do our very best to elect the next Hezekiah to be our, our president, right? And this, this Hezekiah is going to lead us into a new era of greatness. Amen, right? And and so in a lot of political rallies, they can feel very religious because there's a lot of, of discourse aimed in that direction. Okay, so I think that's a good, a good place to, un to understand deduction. Now let's talk about induction. What we'll probably do is we'll probably go for another five, 10 minutes. We'll take a break and we'll come back. And I, have, I think I have you till 10. Um, and we'll talk about some of the steps in, in actually doing inductive Bible study. All right, so induction is moving from the specific to the general. Can someone illustrate this here with an example of what induction might look like in real life? Okay, so, okay, so very good. So, and in fact, I'm not even sure if all fish do have gills. Um, <laughs> I, 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 right, they probably don't. So, so that's, that's very good. So induction, so you, what's your name? Tabitha, okay, Tabby, okay. So you gave a good example of bad induction there, right? Where you see one observation and you conclude a general truth that in this case is wrong, right? So, hey, this fish has gills, therefore all fish have gills, okay? So that's a great example of bad inductive logic that people do all the time, right? So a lot of racism is an example of like, I had a bad experience with person from this ethnicity Therefore, everybody of that ethnicity is, is like that, right? Um, I've heard that so many times, different examples of that. So you're making a bad inductive move where you're, you've got this really small sample size and you're trying to come up with some general truth and now you've done it pat, uh, badly. What's an example of good induction? Yes, Don. Okay, so so a child, when they learn, so they go and they touch the glowing red hot stove, they get burned, doesn't feel good, they're crying. They now are gonna make a rule in their mind that says a glowing red hot thing is not smart to touch. That's actually a very good thing to, to acquire, right? And they've learned it the hard way, but a lot of induction happens experientially in the moment, right? They're not rules that someone's handing down to you. Here, with my snake example, I've never had a bad experience with a snake, but I've seen videos of people being bit by snakes. I've heard, I've heard examples of people being bit by snakes. That rule was given to me from the outside world. <clears throat> if, if you didn't know anything about snakes and you had never seen a video or nobody taught, you might think, oh, what a cute little creature. I, I, can, I can pick it up by the tail and pet it. And, you would quickly figure out that that was not a smart move. So that's a good example of induction where you learn experientially something that is gonna change your beliefs. Let's do one more example of good induction and then we'll talk about induction in Bible study.
ordinary example, ordinary life example of induction. I really want everyone to get this. That's why I'm, I'm belaboring this point. Yes? So, like, taking Jesus' commandments and applying them in a way that you would a general way to react to the world around you. Yeah, so that's good. What was your name again? Micah. That's right. We met last night. Micah. Micah and Miranda. Okay, so Micah. Um, I love that, that way of, of doing things because there's a lot of times where what we do is we take some example in scripture of something and we generalize that out, right? So there, there will be a, a story of, of um, some behavior that we see that is endorsed or condemned and then we'll take that out and we'll generalize that. Okay, so for example, uh, there's a verse in Proverbs, I don't have the exact reference off the top of my head, but it says something like, dishonest scales are an abomination to God. Okay, dishonest scales are an abomination to God. So, of course, they were thinking about the old school balance scales, right? Where you, you weigh your, your fruit over here, you've got your weights over here, and, you know, hey, you can fudge the weights and be dishonest there. What is an example of using inductive logic on that verse that's actually a good thing? So... So there, yeah, Don. You're working at a grocery store, and someone gives you uh, certain money, and you're expected to give something, and you can either choose to give what you're expected, or maybe keep some back. Yeah, yeah. So there's um, at a grocery store, you could, you could, yeah, that's a good example there of 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 that. If you're working there, yeah. Anybody else have another inductive example of where hearing about dishonest scales might might lead you to make an application that's beyond that? Yes? I would say that you could induce that just cheating people in general. Exactly. So you can induce a principle that cheating people in, in general is a bad idea, right? And I think everybody would say amen to that, right? That, that that verse that is giving a very specific example, we can induce a broader truth about cheating people in whatever the manner. All, all fields have their own equivalent of scales that, that we don't want to do. So that's, that's a very good example of induction. Okay. As it turns out, induction is very, 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 very powerful in the scientific realm. So I'm, my training is in science, and um, the whole world of science is based on induction. Okay, so here's an example of this. So back in the day, in the, in the 1400s and 1500s, people believed that the Earth was the center of the universe and everything spun around the Earth, right? And... It's actually very easy to see the sun and planets and stars and all those things and to be pretty convinced that that is true, right? And for, for a long time, people convinced themselves that that was true because of, of just this, um, this way of reinforcing false propositions as deduction can often do. But there was a guy whose name was Copernicus, and then later on Galileo, who very carefully mapped out the courses of the stars. I mean, the level of precision is mind-boggling, what he did. And he just calculated out mathematically, does it make sense that these particular trajectories would be traced out if, indeed, the Earth is stationary, everything's spinning around the Earth. And so using specific observations of the courses of planets, Copernicus and later Galileo said, Nope, we think this is wrong. And they made a completely new, well, it was rediscovering truths that the ancient world believed. Actually, in ancient Greece, many people believed that the Earth uh, was spinning around the sun. But they made a new general statement 
No, you know what? The sun is actually in the center and Earth and the planets are spinning around it because they very carefully studied out the specific courses of the planets and the stars. Okay, so, so that's, a, that's a powerful example of this. And in general, people have theories in science and then somebody will find a little observation over here and they'll say, wait a minute, that disturbs this overall theory. We need to change our theory to incorporate this observation over here that doesn't fit our current thinking, right? Okay, so now let's, let's take this into the realm of Bible study. How is induction incredibly useful and powerful in, in the realm of Bible study? Yes, Don. Okay, good. Yep. Okay, so a one verse might do that. Yep, good. Yeah, a, a lot of what biblical logic is based on is based on almost like cases that are given to us, like very specific cases or examples. And we have to generalize that out. Okay, good. I like that. What was your name? Lily. Lily. Thanks, Lily. There's, big, there's some big ones still left yet on the table about why this is huge, why this is like, this is a completely revolution. Micah. Okay, so, so that, that's, that's getting at what the big idea is here. All of us come to the Bible, and every single one of us, me, you, everybody in this room, we have all these preconceived ideas about what's right, what's wrong, who God is, who I am, uh, how what I did yesterday was right or wrong, how somebody treated me is right or wrong. We have just thousands of ideas that we're coming to bring to the Bible, and if you are reading the Bible simply deductively, the danger is you're going to just say, okay, I, I, I think this is true. I think yesterday I was treated uh, badly by this person. Uh, I think I'm right about this. I think God loves me because of this reason. And I'm going to find a bunch of verses that are going to be all about comfort for those who are badly treated. Okay? And you're going to have a pity party as you go through these verses and and you're going you're gonna to move through your, your devotional time. And, and guess what? You have basically just reinforced your existing belief system by like grabbing whatever verses that you think is going to help you in that. As opposed to the person who comes to the scriptures inductively that says they hold out their propositions and they say, my propositions could be wrong, Right? I might be dead wrong about my beliefs about God, my beliefs about myself, the beliefs of how I was treated yesterday by somebody, by how I should talk to him or her, right? I'm going to hold all these things out, and the Bible is going to be this set of potentially contradictory ideas to challenge me, to challenge my propositions, okay? And all of a sudden, the Bible becomes not something to back you up and to reinforce you or to make you feel good, but it becomes it becomes an external voice of challenge to shake up your propositions. Now, sometimes your propositions may be right. You might be absolutely right about the Trinity, okay? I think we can say with a lot of confidence the Trinity is a biblical concept. 
But maybe you are wrong about some other belief about who you are, what direction you should be going, what career you should pick, uh, you know, all the thousands of, of, of ideas that we bring to the scriptures. Okay, so in general, the Bible is often used almost like how a ventriloquist uses their dummy. You all know what a ventriloquist is, right? You have this little doll and you're talking, but you're, you're opening and closing the mouth of this doll to make it seem like this doll is talking on its own. In fact, what, what we can be doing is the Bible can be our ventriloquist dummy. We're talking, but we're putting our ideas into what we think is the Bible and making the Bible seem like it's saying what we think it should be saying, right? This is a very, very common problem. Again, this is all churches, all backgrounds, all stripes, because it's human nature. And so what we do in the inductive method is we have a lot of suspicion about us. Uh, We come to the scriptures every morning with a sense of, I need to protect the Bible from me, <laughs> right? That I, my tendency is going to be to distort, to change, to make things be what they want it to be, and to use it to reinforce my ideas in that. Okay, I think what we'll do is let's take a break. Let's take a uh, let's come. Let's take a ten minute break until uh, nine fifteen. Uh, we can get up, stretch, drink some water, and then um, I'll have a part two that we'll carry on with until 10 and then we'll we'll close today's session.